0: You're listening to the This Is How We See It podcast with your host, Eric Lee. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe. Now, here's Eric. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Today's show is a previously recorded episode that I did back in 2016 regarding police and community relations. And it's probably one of my favorite shows that I have ever done by far. I interviewed former Raleigh PD officer Robert Wagner, and this was after a police shooting in uh, North Carolina in Raleigh where where I am. And uh, an officer had shot and killed an unarmed young man. And I wanted to get the perspective of an actual police officer. Uh, Because it's easy for people to say, well, you know, why can't you guys do this? And why can't you guys do that? It's easy to say that when you are not in that position. And so I thought it appropriate, since we are now dealing with protests again, as an Ohio grand jury declined to indict eight police officers in the shooting of Jalen Parker. Police fired 94 times, and 46 of those bullets actually hit Parker, of course, killing him, of course. Uh, Now, it's true that Parker fired one round at the police during a foot chase, but 94 times just kind of seems excessive to me, you know. Uh, But anyway, I hope you enjoy the show and I hope it kind of sheds some light more on police and community relations. In the studio with me is Miss Ronnie V. Hello, hello. Miss Nikki is here. Good evening. And we have a special guest today. Mr. Robert Wagner is here. He's here to talk um, about uh, our topic today, which is um, police and community relations, So, welcome, Robert. We are so glad uh, that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I really, it's a blessing to be here. Um, So, a little bit about you. So, you are a retired police officer from the Raleigh Police Department, right? Yes, sir. And how long were you on the force before you retired? Uh,
1: About a little over seven years. Uh Uh-huh. And um, you left because, I read something
0: that you were kind of...
1: Well, I was was removed from my calling, so uh, I felt the need to... uh, that that yeah, you know, I was placed somewhere else, and I couldn't fulfill the calling that I was felt that I needed to do. So I ended up leaving the police department so that I can continue to pursue that calling. Wow. Okay. All right.
0: Um, now you are assigned to uh, the southeast Raleigh area, which includes Bragg and East Street. Correct. And um, Ronnie V and I uh, actually grew up yeah. uh, over there. Um We I moved there in seventy seven. Yeah, I was five years old in 77, and I left, I was five, and I left when I was 16. Wow. So whatever that, is, 11 years, I guess, over there. And I so, was just thought about. Yeah, you, yeah when you were born <laughs> yeah. over there, you were yeah. little, I was the one born. who actually taught Ronnie V how to walk. Wow. You remember wow. that?
2: So that's why I I kept falling and running to walls No, that was because something's <laughs> wrong with your, um, something's wrong with your mind. Um, but yeah, Ronnie V and I um, grew up over there, um...
0: I hear that I haven't been back. Do you remember the chicken in the box? Our, the chicken you know, hut, chicken hut,
1: their chicken hut. I remember yes. everyone talking about the chicken hut. Oh my gosh. she
0: used to work at the chicken oh, hut.
1: Really, wow. Randy's mom worked at <laughs> yes. the chicken hut. I, I heard her- everyone talking about that and Miss Hall and yeah. a bunch of people down there. You know Miss Hall? Yes, we yeah. know yeah, Miss Hall. I actually, yeah, I actually uh, I went to her funeral. You know, and she was a wonderful woman.
0: Yes, she was yes. nice. Yes. Um, yes. Not Don was Donzella was her daughter, right? Yes. So who? Yes, Miss Sue. Yeah, that's, that's what we really called her. Yeah. But wow, yeah. Was it Mama Sue? Is that what they, they said they called her? Mama Sue? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I hear that it's it's a little different over there now um, than when we lived over there. I remember, um, you know, going to bed with the door open. I remember my grandmother one morning waking up and I remember her saying, oh. We didn't even close the door last night. And, you know, we were all like, ha,
2: ha, ha you know. Of course, that was, you
0: know, 1970, you know, yeah. eight, maybe 80 or something. Um, but, um, yeah, it was like I remember walking yeah. to Mr. Big's store Big's by myself Big, at night. The Red hut, Yes. And just sort of not, you know, even thinking about any yeah. kind of danger or anything yeah. like that. Um, but I hear now that it's a little bit different um, over there. Um, it
1: is. Uh, it's, it's amazing because I've, I've spoken to some residents and. You know, they even tell me that, you know, the way they position their doors inside their house when they go to sleep so that if someone breaks in, you know, one door will hopefully catch the other door to give them time to kind of hide or run or something like that. And, and I feel so sorry that there's that there's people down there that actually have to live like that to yeah. even fear yeah. that, OK, yeah. every night I have to set my house up a certain way in the event that someone does try to break in or there is a problem. You know, to and to yeah. think that before you could just leave your door wide open all night. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's it, it's completely changed.
0: Wow, that's horrible. That's yeah. a horrible way uh, to live. And yeah. A horrible zone. way to live. God. Um. So. Um. Again, the topic for today is police community relations, and uh, Robert, you do a lot of um of that. You know, you kind of go speaking to. Uh, You were at a college today speaking um, about—now, do you speak about police community relations, or what is it that you actually talk about?
1: Well, what I've actually done is taking the tactics that we learn as a police officer and trying to make a new light and a new direction on how to look at those things. You know, for example, the crime triangle. You have a crime triangle, which means that in the police world, it says if you possess the opportunity and ability and the desire, the three elements of the triangle— to commit a crime you will commit that crime Mm -hmm. but I said well what if we take a look at this in a different light what if we say okay we have an individual who's suffering you know we look at it from an individual standpoint what are we doing to create the desire the opportunity ability for that person to succeed Mm -hmm. and get out of that lifestyle instead of just worrying about locking them up or something around those lines what can we do to change that individual's life around because we can sow the desire into their lives, but if we're not connecting them with the right resources to give them the Absolutely. ability and the training, yeah. mm-hmm. and then the job opportunities is the number one issue. Right. Is they don't have the opportunity to get off the streets. So they end up falling right back to the same things they've always done.
0: Hmm. How much is it? Um, because, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I feel a little bit different because how much is it is us, though? How much is it is the person?
1: Well, you know, I, I believe it anything you do you have to look in the mirror you know that that's number 1 you know you can continue to do the same thing over and over again but you're going to continue to get the same results right. i'm a firm believer you know when i was uh, a while ago i was sitting there in in debt up to my eyeballs and me and my wife were living in a shack and i sat there just crying out to god i was like okay you know what do i need to do different you know why why am i you know why is this you know why am i just continually in this negative state in this problem that i'm in and I remember God telling me, how do you expect me to bless you with millions if you can't take care of the little bit I've already give you? All right. And so so I started to treat every penny as if God gave it to me myself. I had to look in the mirror and I had to sit there in the mirror and say, what am I doing wrong? Because if I want to continue to push blame on everyone else, I will never truly see what's wrong in my life for me to completely could truly fix it. Right. To advance in life. Right. You know, I could sit there and try to say my, my engine in my car is messed up. And try to blame everyone else and the mechanics and everyone else. But if I don't actually dig in and find out what's wrong with it, I'm going to still continue to drive around a broken car. Or if you don't get your oil change and if you
0: don't take care of it, there's yeah, maintenance. There's yeah. maintenance we have to do in our own yeah, lives. Yeah. Um, so basically, what you're what you're basically saying is, let's give them the tools, and then if they want
1: correct. to succeed, um, then you know. We can't. We can never force someone's hand. You know, there was one guy I stopped on on Bragg Street, and I was like, "Hey, man, let me help you get get you the help that you need." And his, you know, do you have? Did you graduate high school? And he's like, "No." I said, "Well, let me help you get your GED." And he's like, "Man, I'm gonna get my GED." I said, (laughs) "When are you gonna get your GED? Let's go now." I said, "I got the programs and everything else. I'm getting my GED when I'm in in prison." Well, that's already his mindset. Yeah. You know, so how do how do you break that mindset that He already knows that because most of the guys on the streets, you know, in in the gangs, they believe that their life expectancy is 28. They believe by the time they're 28, they're going to be in prison or dead. So they live life to the fullest that they possibly can, thinking that they know that that's what's in store for them. Amazing. Amazing. And to think,
0: and again, when we lived there, when I lived there, um, it wasn't like that at all. But to know that that's the same place I grew up.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and, the, and that despair, you know, that they feel, you know, over there is not what I feel at all. You, you know what I mean?
1: It's just, yeah. it's, it's not what you experienced
0: when you were right. there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, on Monday, February 29th, around uh, 12 noon, 24 year old Akil Dinkins was shot and killed by 29 year old uh, Officer DC Twitty who uh, has been on uh, the Raleigh Police Department force for six years. Um, Officer Twitty was there to arrest Dinkins because Dinkins failed to appear in court on a felony drug charge. Um, everybody knows if you don't show up to court, yeah. the judge is going to issue a warrant for your arrest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you know, shouldn't be surprised at that. Um, so Officer Twitty is trying to arrest him. And, uh, apparently they get into some type of scuffle and, uh, shots are fired. And, um, what Twitty said was that while they were scuffling, Dinkins reached for his gun. Dinkins had a gun. Um, well, they say it was a gun that was there, uh, beside him, beside the body. Mm -hmm. And officer Dinkins confirmed that he had a gun. he reached for his gun and that he shot, um, in self-defense, um, now what's interesting to me is that people in the neighborhood because when the when the uh story broke, I remember being in front of the television. Yeah. And they said, "Oh, um th- this guy was trying to run away from the police and the police shot him in the back 7 times." That's what was said um on uh the rate on the on the news by the people in the community. Um now um but what the autopsy what i the last that I heard the autopsy showed that he was shot in the chest, the arm, and the shoulder hmm now, everybody heard that
2: yeah, and it and also said that one wound they couldn't tell if it was a exit wound like where it started and where it left out, which that yeah didn't seem that, right yeah to me.
0: something is not right about that because they can definitely tell where it ex- where it entered and where it left out of I mean can't they I mean they
1: in, in most cases I would say yes I mean I, mm-hmm. I'm i not a right an sure. examiner yeah. so yeah. I couldn't yeah. tell you but you know I do know the rounds that the police use and they're, they're actually designed to um to actually create a mushroom effect oh, on okay. impact they're actually mm-hmm. hollow points okay is what we normally used in the in the department so where it went if it was you know if it was for example in the fatty tissue of the arm it may be hard to tell which was the enter entrance, and you know, because there wasn't a lot of mass mm-hmm. for that bullet to travel through, so it's really hard to to. I could see where that could be hard to tell. Sometimes, yeah. In. Depending on the case, I yeah. you know, we don't know where that round was and where it came in and out.
0: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um. Now, let me just let let's just say this is what I really want people listening to understand is that we are not here to villainize Officer Twitty or Akil Dinkins. Um, But uh, Robert, I was listening to you did a, I think it was NPR. Mm -hmm. They did a clip and there was a young lady who came on. um, Have you heard that? Mm -hmm. She um, and she, I remember her making the statement and she said, he wasn't even doing nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, "Uh, that's not really true. I mean, Maybe in that moment, you know, him standing there or whatever he was, maybe you're saying that he wasn't doing anything, but the officer was actually there to arrest him because he had, you know, of the warrant. So it wasn't like he was just like an innocent bystander, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, the police shot me, you know, I'm just standing here. Um, Do you think, Robert, uh, that it was police misconduct?
1: I don't know the facts you know, it's hard for me, you know, because, you know, I know there's been a separate independent autopsy that's been done, you know, versus the the first one. Uh, The SBI hasn't brought out all their facts. And, you know, I understand the department, our department, Raleigh, does a great job with trying to get as much facts out as quickly as possible. You see some cities and departments that they wait months, sometimes years before they Yeah, I think Ferguson. Actually, like, wasn't it Ferguson? Yeah, I mean, it took forever for yeah. for stuff to come out. So I, I praise the department for actually coming out with something as quickly as they did. Um, I, I have not been able to read the reports, so I have a hard time really making a true judgment on what happened without knowing all the facts. Mm-hmm. And without actually being able to sit there and actually read all the reports and say, you know, give you my best idea or judgment on that. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Nikki?
3: Well, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, I've heard both sides, and I don't think that anybody should say anything about it without hardcore facts. And we don't have them. But, um... I don't want to overstep whatever questions you may have, but I do know that me telling people that this was going to take place originally, the biggest questions that everybody wanted to know was, okay, we don't know the facts from that story, but we've seen all of these events, excuse me, whether it be in Raleigh or somewhere else. Can you, as a previous police officer, explain to the world, like, what is it that we're missing as far as protocol? What what? What rights do we have when being pulled when being questioned um, what, what is it that's being done so wrong that people are losing their lives regardless of race oh, what, a, what's what's going on like let question. us know how, how we need to conduct ourselves according to police
0: well, well and, and let me let me piggyback off of that because that actually is one of my questions because when i when I look at um, not necessarily this particular case uh, but when I look at Ferguson, you know, uh, Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Um, what is police protocol? Like, it just seems to me, like, I, I the first thing I always think of is like, but well, can't they shoot in the leg? You know, or can't they shoot in the arm? Or can't they shoot in the shoulder? Uh, now, I know it's easy for me to sit, for us to sit and just say, hey, can't they, when we are not in, you know, that that situation, it's easy. You know, <laughs> You know to, to say something like that But my question you know and that's a good Question that Nikki had because that was one Of the questions I wanted to ask you is You know and we will let you answer that <laughs> When we come back We got to take a break we'll be right back In just a moment you are tuned in to This is how we See Thanks for coming back with us. Uh, we're talking today to Robert Wagner, retired uh, Raleigh police officer, about police and community relations. And um, Nikki and I uh, had asked him before we went to break about what is protocol when, you know, um, when there's an altercation with the, the police and, and a, and a I don't know, what do you call them, perp? you will probably you will <laughs> probably hear me say a lot of um terms from law and correct. order <laughs> 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 they probably aren't ri- right but um that's you know I think I know police cuz I I love law and order but um but but what is it robert what is what is protocol uh when you are in take for instance um okay which one was um uh, waving the the I don't even remember. But if 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 you if a, if police are um, in front of someone waving a knife
1: or 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 even a gun for that matter, what is procedure? Well, I mean, first you would definitely try to. This a knife is different; is going to be different than a, a gun. First of all, a knife. If you have a taser, it's a great tool. Um, Does Raleigh have tasers? We do. Um, tasers. Um, are not always effective. Um, So, for example, there was a situation that I responded to right off of Bragg Street on, uh, I believe it was Mangum. Uh, It was Mangum or East. It's been a little while, but when we were there, it was a guy waving a knife around the front yard wanting to commit suicide. Well, he's sitting here with the knife in his hand, and uh, I roll up, and there's another officer there. That officer pulls out her taser, and I pull out my gun because I also know that tasers don't always work. Well, when that subject started to charge at us with the knife she hit him with the taser the taser worked. he fell got the knife away from him everything was fine now if that taser did not work you have to go to backup you know you can't wait until a subject's already stabbed you to actually sure t- yeah to do something and there is a rule there's a 21 foot law rule so if you're within 21 feet of me you could charge me with a knife and stab me before i could pull out my gun and shoot you and that's that. That's true. I've I've been in those situations, and we've done it through the training. That yes, I'm 21 feet from this person. If I'm not already prepared to act, because it takes time from, okay, he's charging me. Okay, I have to react to that. Oh, it's a deadly okay, threat. Okay, it's here. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. now I need to grab my gun. Now I got to bring it up on target and shoot. So on a situation like that, then yes. Now if it's a gun, if you have the ability to get behind some sort of cover, you know, yes. But you can't wait until the other person's gun goes bang before you go with yours because that could be your life right um so it all it's it's all based on the scenario that that's at hand to really be able to truly say this is the protocol for each one Mm -hmm. you know if there is the threat of death or serious physical injury then a law enforcement officer uh based on 501cd2 i think it is it's been a while since i memorized them um in the general statute states that they have the authority to use deadly force so if, if if he or she feels that, you know, my life is in danger. It has to be imminent threat of death mm-hmm. or serious physical injury. Mm-hmm.
0: So, okay, so it has
1: to be, which is a gun. I mean, really. If you, a gun would be considered. If someone's pulling out a gun, then yes. Um, and it has to be considered imminent. So just because it's in their waistline uh-huh. doesn't mean that you can shoot them. Uh-huh. But if they're pulling that gun out, you don't have to wait until it's pointed at you before you can use that deadly force because it's already been proven that if you wait until he's pointed at you by the time it registers with the brain and you react, you could already be shot. So, um, is
0: it safe to say that if you see somebody reach
1: for something, then shoot. Correct. Now it, it, of course, again, it takes, the totality of the circumstances Mm -hmm. to really look at the whole thing the whole picture to say was there an imminent threat of death okay so for example if the guy looks at me with a dead stare and says i'm going to kill you and reaches down into his jacket like this well i can fire him before i see it i could shoot him before i see a gun okay because he's already made the threat right he's making a motion as if he was going to grab a gun well then at that point you can't wait until you see a gun because at that point it could be too late right right and so you've got to take re- you got to you got to act within that moment, and then go into your question about why can't we just shoot at the arms or legs? Right. I know you mentioned right. that. Right. Yeah. Um, the reason being is you really are aiming for center mass. It's the biggest part of the body. You know, one of the cardinal rules is know your target and what's beyond it. So if I'm aiming at your arm, it's going to be more likely that I'm going to miss the arm than I would the center mass. Okay. So, and if I'm hitting, if I'm aiming towards the center mass and blood's pumping, you know, I'm nervous, I might be shaking, you know, I might be, you know, whatever it is, the likelihood of me missing the arm is greater. Now, once that bullet passes that arm or that subject, your target, once it passes that, you still have a, your name's still on that bullet. So, if it hits a kid in a house next door, you're still liable for that bullet. Okay. Because you have, that's why you, you aim for the center mass because arms are going to be moving legs are going to be moving and it's such a it's such a crazy moving target when aiming for the center mass you're less likely to miss so it's not that you're aiming for technically the heart you're not really aiming to kill to you're kill. just aiming to eliminate the threat and then you stop at the point that the threat has been ceased so if you shoot once and you know in in the number of shots is really hard because in the moment it could be bow, 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 and until you notice and it registers in your mind that the threat has stopped, you know. Sometimes that may take a couple of shots. Yeah. You know, before all of a sudden, you know, you're freaking out because we're not putting in situations all the time that we have to draw our gun and actually be threatened to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been in cases where I, I almost shot a guy one time, and it would have been the victim, but I didn't know. You know, and giving the totality of the circumstances, I would have been justified in that shooting because I got a call to two guys stabbing each other with knives well when I come inside the house it looked like a homicide scene there was blood everywhere all over the walls, the floors, the ceiling you know down the hallway into the bathroom and when I get in there I see the back of one guy and another guy going like a stabbing motion on top of the other guy and all I see is back and I'm screaming at the guy to stop well he wouldn't stop so I pull out my gun and another officer stops me and says Wags let me see if the taser will work so he hits him with the taser because he had just came up behind me Taser didn't work, but he stopped. Moving. And I remember him turning to look at me. He had a gash on the side of his head and his blood was squirting out that, and you couldn't tell the complexion of his skin, he had so much blood on him when he turned around. Well, hindsight, you know, when you looking at that situation, you're like, I think he was the aggressor the aggressor, but actually he was the victim and he was punching the guy trying to remove the item that he stabbed him with. Which you wouldn't have known. So hindsight is 20, twenty you've got to look at the t- totality of the circumstance the type of call it was going into the circumstances and from that officer's point of view of what this was what
0: he perceived what he you perceived know, to,
1: to be, be. <laughs> and you know if i would have shot this guy i would have been justified because i'm sitting here trying to save the life of the person underneath i'm thinking that he's being stabbed to death in front of me interesting
3: okay so with that those are very good but what about the ones that there are no weapons? And I know maybe we haven't had as many public in Raleigh, but just in general, what happens when a police pulls his weapon, when there are no more weapons and they're getting off? So if justice is saying this is right, what, what are we missing? Because we're not in the courtrooms. What are we missing that they're saying this police was innocent if there was no weapon from the other side?
1: And that would be the imminent threat. Right. So, if and, it's,
3: and, a, and an imminent threat is that bad? Like you feel like you can kill me with your hand so I'll kill you with my weapon?
1: Well, not necessarily. And like I said, it's a totality of circumstances. Okay. If I sit there and you're sitting here talking with me and you say, I'm going to kill you mm-hmm. and you reach down like this into your jacket, I have the right to fire at you before I even see a gun. Mm-hmm. You could be pulling out a cell phone. And I'll give you another example of a situation where I almost shot an unarmed guy. All right. I get a 911 call reference a carjacking, right? Says, you know, Hispanic male, there's two black females in a car. He's trying to hijack or trying to carjack them. He's got a gun, this and that. And it was, it was, it was kind of hard to understand. Well, I roll up on the scene, it's dark. So my, my, my vision is not there. It's not able to see as well because it's a dark road. There's like one street light, but it's probably 30 feet from us. Mm -hmm. And I roll up and I see this. Hispanic guy leaning into the window with these two black females in the car and I'm like well man I just rolled up on a, a carjacking <laughs> right so I open up my door I get behind cover and I draw my weapon and I'm sitting there um, and I start challenging him well he comes out with this black object in his hand and it's it looks just like a gun because it's up and pointed out right and he's sitting like this and he, and his hands are up like this and I'm screaming at him drop the gun drop the gun and he's just sitting there like this I'm yelling drop the gun drop the gun and I said throw whatever's in your hand he throws it right well he's like this if he would have came down and pointed whatever he had in his hand at me I would have fired at him because from my perception of what I'm seeing is I have a guy about to point a gun at me and I'm going home at the end of the day because I have children I've got a wife I've got a family I'm here to protect and serve I've got to eliminate the threat that's in front of me and also save the individual's lives that are in this car right so he ends up throwing it. I ended up getting him to turn around, walk back towards me, leave the weapon there, search him, get him in there. Ended up being a flip cell phone. Wow. And he was an intoxicated man who crashed his car and was trying to call in a carjacking to make it sound like his car, that he was high carjacked and someone else stole his car and wrecked it. And it, it was completely not communicated properly to me, but giving the facts that I have there... This would have been an unarmed man Mm -hmm. who was shot and killed when he was calling 911 to help him from a car crash of his. Mm. Now, that's what would would have been fed to the media. Right. And reality is, if you look at the whole situation, me coming up, I think this guy's got a gun. The way it came in through the the dispatch, from what I'm seeing is matching what the radio had told me and what was on my, my computer screen, and he comes around with what appears to be a gun in his hand. Mm -hmm. now it's dark out and he's farther away but you could see that it was nothing but afterwards i found out it was a flip phone but the whole time i'm thinking this guy's got a gun and he's either going to kill them or kill me now that being another
0: officer who has another mindset he
1: may have fired but he would have had to justify the threat if the the gun is up Mm -hmm. in the air like this Mm -hmm. And it hasn't, and he hasn't made any what they would call a furtive movement towards the officer or towards anyone else. Mm-hmm. If he didn't have an furtive movement, and it was just here, and he shot him. That that would be a, a different issue. Then that's something that the courts are going to have to decide whether or not that was considered an imminent threat of death. And and who would be there to say
0: that though? You and, know what I mean? Like who would, like how would that be communicated?
3: You well, know what he, I mean? He just said something very interesting. He said that's how the media is going to present it. Of course. That's how we have to, we have to look at it from that point of view as well. Like the media is not going to always tell us the truth, which is why I said, I I really can't comment about the Bragg Street incident because I only know hearsay. So, Hmm. or or media say,
0: Hmm. we got to take a break. We'll be right back in just a moment. Stay right with us. (laughs) Are back, thanks for coming back with us. We're talking today with Robert Wagner about police and community relations. Um, now, we know that there are good cops and bad cops. I mean, on every force, I mean, you know, you, you're just gonna have you know, there's always gonna be a bad apple no, no matter in, what in, job in, you're exactly, in, exactly, any bunch. Yeah. Um, and but, but I think that what we really do need to understand about police officers is that what i have to believe is that the majority of them do good you know that they are they are here to serve and protect i certainly believe that there are bad ones you know i think you know everybody knows that they're bad ones but every time that police officer leaves his or her home they don't know if they're going to come back correct you know i mean they really do put their lives on the line every day and and what i said earlier uh, in the show is that it's so easy for us to sit back at home and, and you know, See, well, I, we right, we I do. would have done this and I, I would have done that. But truth really is you don't know what you would have done Correct. if you've got somebody, you know, waving a knife or waving a gun or whatever, you know, you really don't know. Yeah, most people have never been in those situations. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Robert, you knew Akil
1: Dinkins. I did. You, you knew him very well. Tell, tell us about him. Um, it was probably, and, and I wouldn't say it's his very first charge because it was a failure to appear, I believe, warrant on um, Mr. Mar- marijuana charge. And I remember picking him up on that charge, and um, he was quiet. He wasn't loud. He wasn't boisterous or anything crazy like that. Um, and I remember speaking to him, and, and he actually listened. You know, Some of the guys on the streets, like I explained earlier on the show, you know, some just man i'm just gonna get my ged when i'm in prison you know that's a heck of a thing to (laughs) say and i would talk to him i was like akil i said i looked up his record i said you know you don't even have a felony on your chart on your record right now i said you have opportunity you have the ability to get somewhere in life you know a lot easier than some of the other guys on the streets you know i said you have opportunity and uh, I could tell he was listening, and I, I explained to him about different programs. I talked to him about Jobs for Life. I talked to him about Neighbor to Neighbor and some of these other programs that are out there just saying, you know, let me help you get in in, in the right uh, the right direction. So I, I put him in jail, and every day I'd see him on the streets, and I'd say, Akil, are you doing the right thing? What's going on, man? I said, I, I don't want to see you out here because I know when you're out here walking back and forth on this one corner like you have nowhere else to go bragging east the corner braggin east. you know I know you're up to no good so I got one of his uh, one of his, somewhat family members he's related by I guess sisters or something and um, I was like we need to continue to, to ins- so positive into his life and the, the time that I was on those streets if you look at his criminal history he wasn't into the felony charges and things like that while I was on the streets you know, I I personally don't even think he got another charge while I was working on the streets because I always stayed in his face. Hmm. I always was right there. Kill. What are you doing?
0: And how old was he around this time? Do you think?
1: I was I was removed from the neighborhood in 2000, I think 13, right around there. You were removed. What what do you, what do you mean? Well, if um, I was removed from the neighborhood as a police officer. And told I was not allowed to drive down those streets as a cop again. what?
3: You, he Correct. was doing too good in the community what you thought
1: do you think that's what it was? Well, I, I think it's politics. Um, you know I, I had a different approach. I used to be you know in I used to be the the top number producing officer in the city, one of the top officers. I've got all the chief citations for having the top number of arrests, drug seizures, and gun seizures in the city. But I realized that the the three years running that I had those, that I wasn't making the difference that I needed to make because most of those were the same person arrested over and over and over again. And I said, there's got to be something different. I joined this department because I want to help people and I feel like I'm not doing anything but just producing numbers. As a matter of fact, the people that I'm serving are actually hating me more and more. (laughs) I said, you know, and at that point, you know, I won't get into the full story of my breaking point of what happened because I'm sure we don't have enough time. Um, At a breaking point in my life, I remember reaching out to God and say, God, I don't know if this is for me. I said, "How this is not why I joined a department. And I remember God telling me, how can you expect someone to give something they may have never received? And that's unconditional love. And so I finally realized that there was a weapon on my, that I couldn't carry on my duty belt. And that was Christ's love. Mm. That was compassion. Mm-hmm. And actually reaching out and, and, and connecting with the community. So I actually started connecting with the community, but I wasn't producing the numbers that I used to. Mm. Um, I remember getting calls, you know, asking me to leave the area because people weren't committing crimes while I was there because they were trying to catch criminals. You know, a bunch of stuff like that. But the success, I had one captain at the time who was yelling at me about not producing numbers until one day he got back in the office and he pulled me in. He goes, Wagner? I said, yes, sir. He goes, you know, I've been on this department. I'm about to retire. I've been here for about 30 years. I've been on SWAT. I've been on drugs. I've been on you know, jump out crews, undercover, I've been on patrol, we have hit Bragg Street for the past almost 30 years trying to fix this neighborhood, and I've never seen anything. He said, but the first time in my 30-year career I drove down Bragg Street, people stepped out on the porch and waved at me. He says, I don't know what you're doing, but you keep it up. Now, he went to bat for me, but politics got involved, there was an outside uh, person, there's plenty of articles in the media, you can look up through the Raleigh Public Record where one woman who doesn't live on Bragg street who want to voice her concerns and long story short i remember sitting down and you know there was a conversation just saying you know the chief the chief specifically said to me i just want to let you know decisions i have to make or not to deny you a blessing so i almost feel like sh- she didn't want to make the decisions that she had to make Yeah. but she basically had me Oh, at, this at, present chief correct um she actually had to in in a public forum had to remove me from the neighborhood and told me I was not allowed to drive down those streets again as a cop. So I had my supervisors were like, "You're not allowed to go down there anymore," and so I was removed from Bragg Street and put at five points. And that's where I said I feel like I missed my calling. You know, my calling was there was to connect with the community, make a difference. You know, be impactful, build relationships, and actually reduce crime. And I was put at five points and. I didn't want to deal with nine one one calls about some dog who pooped in my yard.
0: Now tell us what five points
3: is.
1: Um, It's five points is up Glenwood, where um, all the different five points in Raleigh come from, uh, come together by the Rialto Theater. It's it's a it's a nicer area of town.
3: You know the the only thing. Oh yes, I do. I used to go to school. Um, Daniels. Daniels. We used to go that way. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. The only thing that's standing out to me about that whole thing is just so freaking powerfully amazing and sad at the same time is that you said when you were there, the violence was down and you were removed. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that that's all the more reason to keep you there. So the bigger question is, do they want violence down or do they want arrest record? Numbers.
0: They
1: wanted numbers. Well... I don't know how to say it and be politically correct. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. We 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 gonna let's be. This is how we see it. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean. So so yeah. reality is is the heart of any police department is we want to reduce crime. The reality is is we need numbers. You know when when departments and things are fe- funded through federal grants, which a lot of those grants are based on numbers and activity. And there's no way to truly measure success of a reduction in crime because is it a reduction in crime or is it lazy officers? Hmm. You know they're, 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 that's the problem and I, and I actually yeah. have a, a full program that I've designed based around police tactics on how to connect with the community and actually help measure the success of a reduction in crime versus based on community relations.
3: Yeah, and based on lives that are still alive, uh, drug addicts that get clean. I mean, it's got to be ways. Th- there's Prostitutes that change it's, their lives.
1: It's hard though when your government grants that you have to help fund your department, and I think the departments in city and police departments get caught up in this situation where they need the funds to continue to operate. So they have to produce the numbers to get it, but by producing those numbers, it causes there to be more of a division, right? And you have to produce more numbers to continue to get more so that you can continue to put more officers on the streets when in reality you could do more with less if you step back and mm-hmm. say wait a minute how can I restructure this how can I make a difference reduce crime create a sustainable change and not put a band-aid on an open wound
3: mm-hmm. exactly
1: that's that's the focus that we need to be at yeah is is focusing on those elements and it's all through community relations you know and you know when I when I was on the streets I remember the gang members helping me out hmm maintain peace in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Wow. I remember arresting some guys, and it doesn't mean that you know community policing is we don't enforce laws. But here's the thing. Mo- too, ma- too many times we look at ourselves as law enforcement officers when we're so much more than that. Mm-hmm. We are police officers, peace officers. We're there to protect and serve, and we use the tools of being able to enforce the law to be able to maintain that poli- that peace. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement is a tool that we use, not a profession. Hmm. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So, and the idea is that we need to use the least amount of force and the least amount of authority to obtain voluntary compliance with that law. So whether it's just police presence can produce a reduction in crime to create a voluntary compliance with the law, Mm -hmm. then that's what we do. If it's just a verbal warning, then that's what we do. Mm -hmm. If it leads to a citation, then that's what we do. Because if we follow those steps and the courthouse, because I remember I had so many arrests and so many charges under my belt that when I would go to the courthouse I packed out a whole courtroom by myself I was the only officer in there with a whole courtroom by myself <laughs> but I realized it wasn't making a difference because it was all the same people right. every single month yeah. or when I arrested one guy he's got 49 pending drug charges with most of them felonies where is the change? if this guy if every single one of these arrests didn't change him, what's going to change him? how can yeah. we reach these individuals? and a lot of them are caught up in there because one guy in the streets told me, Wags, you don't know what it's like I'm black, I'm a male, and I got felonies. How do you expect me to change? How mm-hmm. do you expect me to get off these streets? You know, when I live in a hotel room with my kids, mm-hmm. and if I don't bring home a certain amount of money by the end of the day, I'm going to be on the streets. Mm-hmm. Oh. So there's a yes. desire there for people to want to change. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to find the ability and the opportunity for them. And that's where we're lacking. We're lacking as a community. We're lacking as a department. We're lacking as a city. We're lacking as a uh, um, Churches and nonprofits, mm-hmm. you know, we want to suck suck in all this money to do all these things, but we're not catering to the people to be able to create a holistic, sustainable change in their life. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will feed you today, but you're going to be hungry tomorrow, right mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and that's the problem.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I like that,
0: that's good. Um, I wanted to say also, <clears throat> there was a young lady I was telling you about your the NPR clip, correct? And um, she said um you know he wasn't even doing nothing you know which I was like okay well you know that's not really true um but the one thing that stood out about that is I remember her saying that you were the only police officer that cared that's what she actually said on the NPR interview
1: yeah she said that I was her friend and yeah 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 Yeah. and I I love her to death um matter of fact um when when I was in the area there's a place called Passage Home there that was doing a father daughter dance um Joni Craven was the one who was actually heading it up and um she um she wanted to go but she didn't have a father to take her mm. so um what I did is I got me and about five other officers who got together and we took these girls who didn't have father figures to go with them oh. to the father daughter dance and you know they taught me how to doggy and do all those. So <laughs> they taught me how to do all those funky dances. You know you're gonna have to
3: do that before you leave. Right?
1: <laughs> but but it built up a relationship with her to the point where when I would drive down the street, she would go, "Hey, dad," and I go, "Hey, daughter." You know, and I remember <laughs> being on my knee in front of everyone, having to sew positive words into her life. But it was that that's connection great. That that's great because she had that relationship with me. She felt safe, mm-hmm. and because she had that connection with me, she had a trust for me. You know, And the same thing goes across the board with everyone else in the community. You may have some gang members out on the streets, but there's so many people behind the blinds Mm -hmm. that fear for their life every single day Mm -hmm. who need help, who need that connection and need that trust because they don't feel like they can trust the police officer that they're speaking to in fear that it's going to get back to the gang members that's going to come back at them. Exactly. So it's all about respect. So there'd be times I'd get fed information and I would have to feed that off to another officer so I wasn't the direct one creating the enforcement on that side to help maintain the peace and make them feel safe. Cool. Very good. Um, The thing
0: that I wanted to say was that this is why, and we talk about this all the time, uh, guys, is that's why it's so important to do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like when I think about when she said he wasn't even doing nothing, well, you know, okay. But um, that's why it's so important to now, we all know that you don't have to be uh, doing bad things for bad things to happen to you. You know, bad things happen to good people. But that's why I feel that for the most part, keep yourself out of trouble. Correct. You, you know what I mean?
1: If you look at every, every situation that's happened, the, you know, especially in the officer-involved shootings, there was some sort of, there was uncompliance. They weren't compliant. You know, number one thing is be compliant. Whether you think it's right or wrong that what they're doing, be compliant and then deal with it after the fact, whether it's just a citation or you go to jail, deal with that after the fact. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, but by being uncompliant, you're putting yourself at risk. And, you know, also if the officer feels at risk, it creates an unsafe environment for everyone, including bystanders. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly,
0: exactly. That's 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 what I always say, you know, just do do the right thing, you know, and none of us are perfect. You know, it's easy to say, you know, do the right thing all the time. I'm not going to sit here and say I do the right thing all the time, Correct. you know, but for the most part, do the right thing. And like you said, be compliant. You know, um, people running from police don't run from police officers. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying that they should they should shoot you in the back, but I'm just saying if you you know, if you keep yourself out of trouble, you know, and and don't ru- like why do people run I don't I don't get why people run from police officers
3: because our police officers are not like uh, I, Mr. Wagner over here
0: I do get that but you, I think you are you are creating a situation really when you just take off running you know they're gonna come after you you know something's gonna happen if you run from a police officer we gotta take a break we'll be right back in just a moment stay right with us we are back talking to robert wagner about police community relations before we went to break i was just saying that you know just make sure that you're doing the right thing you know um that's that's all i'm saying you know just just make sure that you're staying out of tr- as much as you can <laughs> that you're staying out of trouble and what, v, what oh, you yeah,
3: what so, mm-hmm. well look,
2: so what about the ones that are compliant what about the ones that do um do as they're told in the moment. Um, what about the ones that are already um, handcuffed? Um, no harm to anyone who, like still Sandra get, Bland, you know, who still gets like punishment as if they had a weapon, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you do what you're supposed to do. The ones who don't want any trouble, regardless if they're right or wrong, you know, just to rectify the situation at that time, and it still gets handled another way. And I think that to me,
0: that's, I mean, you know. I don't know what to say about that because...
2: Because you just stay in the house all the time. You oh, don't, you great. Don't, you don't thanks. get in trouble. You don't go nowhere. Thanks. No. What if you... Think about this. Let's let's, let's flip the script right quick. Say if we was... Uh, let's just say downtown. Glenwood. Okay, think about this.
0: I have been on this earth for years. And... <laughs> <laughs> 44 years. And... By the grace of God, I have never, I've never even gotten a speeding ticket in my life. Wow. I've never even been pulled over. (laughs) I've never even been pulled over. Thank God. That's because he drives
2: like a grandma. Well,
0: <laughs> th- hey, no, because I've I've totaled my car before. You, you
2: should have got a ticket for driving too slow. You know they give tickets out whatever, for that now.
0: Whatever, whatever. As long um, as you're
1: driving faster than a moped, <laughs> <laughs> whatever.
2: <laughs> um, but I, I don't know what to say
0: about that. I just think that you know that's that's a special. thing. You know what I mean?
3: Like, I, I, it's not special, no. But but to to say it, I'll say this. Too often, I love what Mr. Wagner said, you know, and what he does and and how he's saying we need to implement this and that in the community, but on the flip side, it's time to implement something different in the police force, you know what I'm saying, some different kind of trainings. I did 10 years in the military, and in the military, when something went wrong, we did a whole revamp protocol because we don't need to let this happen again. So, the police officers, it's time, like what you said, you know, stay out of trouble, do right but it's so many oh, that, sure. that do, oh, and yes, they still definitely. are victim to police force or, or 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 many things. So my point is, we have so many things in in the streets that that you know we have people like you, we have activists, we have some churches that are some um, what did you call them um, nonprofits, nonprofits. We have just plenty of things out here they may may not be as effective as others some are more some are less and some are not at all but they're here but my point is on the flip side like you said look in the mirror it's time for the police force to flip it, flip the mirror and and say what do we need to start doing different and not just in raleigh but i'm saying everywhere
1: i agree with you 100 percent um I, I i agree with you 100 percent Both people need to look in the mirror to truly see the change that they need. Absolutely. I actually designed a whole program for that that actually uses a police tactic so that they can actually look at what they've been taught in a different light. Okay. You know, and it's to get back to the roots of why you became a cop. Are they using it? To help people. No, I just created it, you know. (laughs) Oh, okay. Give them time, I'm just asking. Give them time. That's my goal is to get into the police department. Okay. You know, and I've just got to be able to find the right doors that if I can get the doors open to go and speak to the departments. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was just at the criminal justice program up in Rocky Mount mm-hmm. talking to the future officers there. So we're starting that process. Okay. So that they, that they are starting to understand that things are more than just numbers and enforcement. You know, there's much deeper and that's using that crime triangle I talked about. How can we connect individuals to the right resources so that we're not just throwing them back into the system again. Okay. And here is what I'm gonna also say too,
0: is that the media plays a big part in this. Oh yeah. They play a huge part because what what you see, just like we were talking before they got here, what you see is 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 just these special cases. Now I'd be curious to see how many Sandra blands really happen how many um eric garners really happen? you know what i mean i'm pretty sure it's you know none of them should ever happen but it's just you know because it sells papers it, it you know it it people watch you know uh go on
2: um i have a question um how many suspensions um to like one particular cop how many suspensions do they get before they're off the force
1: that's all a departmental thing okay you know, and well, i i, I I don't know if any officer ever been suspended. Um, I know you've got administrative leave, or you've got light duty, mm-hmm. so they might take you off the streets while the investigation's going on, um, but actually suspended, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure about that. Okay. I want to take
0: uh, these last couple of minutes, uh, Robert, to talk about um, what a lot of people don't know about you, is that you are a movie producer. You produce movies. You have a company called Wags Films, correct? And you did an independent film shot right here in Raleigh, North Carolina, called East and Bragg. Or Bragg and East. Oh, I'm sorry, Bragg and East, and it's uh, it's about that southeast neighborhood. Um, and tell us about the film.
1: Well, it, it the, the sad thing is, is it kind of highlights some of the issues between the community and the police. That I shot this years ago. Um, Back in 2000, December 2013, we filmed it. It was released 2014, made it to the Cannes Film Festival in France, and we've won lots of awards all over the world. Um, But it actually highlights a lot of those community issues between the police and the community. And it actually shows on both sides the issue. Mm -hmm. And I tried to address this way back when before, this is before even Ferguson. Or the Eric Gardner thing. It happened way before that because I saw the problem. I was experiencing the problem as a cop and had to change my ways to be able to create that relationship. And that's where I honestly believe these things like Eric Gardner and, you know, some of these other things that's happened across the country, I believe they could have been avoided mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if we had relationships with them, with I the agree. individuals we were serving. Yeah. And there's a, there's a prime example of that. And that's where I had to arrest one guy for a stolen moped. And in the back of my patrol car, he started crying. And I said, what's going on? Because normally I get flicked off, spit at, called all types of names. He goes, Officer Wagner, are you going to treat me the same when I get out? I'm sorry I put you in a situation that you had to arrest me. So at that point in time, the relationship that I had with him made that arrest more effective. So then when he got out of jail, he didn't end up coming, not coming back to that neighborhood. He actually cleaned up his life and moved on. Very good. Because the, because the relationship made that enforcement more effective versus the guy that I arrested who had 49 pending charges because he didn't have a relationship with the people that were, you know, arresting him. So there's a huge difference there. So the movie takes place to show how compassion can reach people at the lowest point in their lives. That's why I've gotten phone calls at 4 o'clock in the morning from gang members who want to commit suicide and don't know who else to call. You know that's why I get calls from moms who just don't know how to deal with their daughter and, and handing the phone over to their daughter and I'm able to calm their daughter down so they don't get into domestic violence situations you know that that's what the the film actually touches on and actually shows that there is a change and if the community watches it, they're going to be able to relate to it and if a police officer watches it, they're going to be able to relate to it and it shows the common ground that we need to meet at wow. awesome. I like so how can people see this film? Well, because it's still in the, the film festival market it can't be put out publicly um in the public forum yet um, because it's still in the festival market uh, we're trying to come back to do the feature film which would create the holistic um change and I actually tried to get an unpaid leave of absence from the police department so I could do this but I was denied by the the city manager saying I, I'm not allowed to take an unpaid leave to do it um but the idea is that we would actually come back because we know that gang members are attracted to media that's given from my uh, my career when I was a gang liaison for the city shows that the gang music and movies is what helps spread the message of the gangs popping up everything from West LA to the East Coast so we know media is a desire so if we shoot a feature film we shot the short to see if it would work and we had droves of people that came out to help out right in the community got the guys off the streets partnered with gangs and probation they brought their guys on on probation to work with us build up good community the idea behind the movie is that we actually hire these guys giving them paying jobs to get off the streets and we give them the tro- proper training through jobs for life and transition them into full-time employment with partnered businesses so that we can actually give them a paying job to get them off the streets transition them into full-time employment to create that holistic change. Then profits from the movie get sewn back into the community for revitalization, but that revitalization must be done by the hands and work of the community so these big, huge contractors in North Raleigh don't come down making a bunch of money revitalizing a home without hiring the community to do it themselves. Mm. Very good. Very good. very it. good.
2: Oh, Wagner. Go Wagner. Go <laughs> so right hey. Wagner. So
1: you said right now it's a short. Right now it's a short film, and we're okay. trying to raise the funds to do the feature so we can get back to the... The neighborhood and how can people
0: get in touch with you? How can people go online, social media, and read about Wags Films and Robert Wagner?
1: You got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Wags Film W A G Z F I L M. You can find us all those and also Wags Film at Gmail if you want to email me. Um, if you just type that in, you can find it. Even if you go on IMDb and type in Wags W A G Z and print enter, you'll see me. So very good. That's so awesome. now 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 how can Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. How can somebody be... No, because you're doing another film. Correct. I'm actually working on a film. We uh, start production in April. I was picked up to produce and direct a feature film uh, next month. So we're going to be working on oh, that. Here Lip. in
3: Raleigh, you Lip. guys are doing it? Yes. Yep. And we're I actually mean, I, I uh, starring country
1: out. music star Jason Michael Carroll. Can't release too much information yet. Of course. But um, we're going to be filming in April, starting April 12th. Um, and we'll be filming through the whole month.
3: Do you guys have all of your actors and actresses? Not yet. Oh, well, you need to uh, advertise for that. I know two actors and that well, one, if you but they're it. kids.
1: If you put us on WAG's Film on Facebook, I'm sure we'll be putting some posts on there um, that you can, if you go there, follow that page, I'll, I'll be making some posts. Oh, and, it's, and you said WAG's at gmail.com? It's WAG's Film, no S on the end of film, so W-H-E-Z-F-I-L-M at Gmail wax film at yes, gmail.com correct and it's the same thing for Facebook Instagram Twitter
3: all right all Gina you heard that bring your son
0: wow yeah because you know I'm 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 an actor <laughs>
3: uh, whatever it, is it time to go yet it's time to go.
0: <laughs> excuse me really <laughs> I mean, hey. so but you know uh, you know it, it's 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 phenomenal what you're doing thank yeah you. I mean it's, really, thank it's, you. It, is. it is absolutely ph- phenomenal Uh, What you are doing, the change that you have made uh, on the street to your film company, Um, because we were talking before and I was telling him that I love to see people do their thing. I love to see people live their dream, you know, and, um, you know, best wishes to you. Absolutely. And you got to come back. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I know Nikki probably scared you off. Excuse probably. me.
3: Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, but, no. you know, I put a tracker on this car. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I, you were I, you were totally not offended by me, right? Like no, I, no, wasn't
1: no not at all. <laughs> <laughs> believe me, I, I've been talked to very badly. <laughs> in my but but I, I didn't no, even direct anything
3: to you. you. Like, pl- believe me, nothing was directed directly towards you at all. Oh
0: no, no, I don't take offense at all. He'll tell me later on that you scared. Of she's saying that
1: now. Now that she knows I'm doing another movie and wants a part. And you right. go exactly. oh my god no. Oh, I'm a behind oh, the scenes I, uh, oh, uh, if you need somebody
0: here done
1: it, okay no.
0: <laughs> but yeah I mean best best wishes to you I mean I I am just so glad and we got to go get out of here but I'm I'm just glad to see that you were doing you know your thing and and that's got to be you you are very passionate about it because mm-hmm. I could hear it you know and the way you were talking you're very passionate about it and best wishes to you you. and uh we got to get out of here we will see you next time bye for now